Good morning. Well, happy Sunday, and I guess Merry Christmas, because indeed it is the last Sunday before Christmas. So if you didn't know that, spoiler alert, the next time we talk, Christmas will have already come and gone, uh, which is kind of exciting. And so hopefully you have some plans and are set to enjoy that. Uh, we will have our Christmas Eve service up uh, on the website available for you on Christmas Eve, uh, and we just invite you to uh, enjoy that, uh, but also feel free to share that with those uh, around you. So yeah, let's pray this morning and uh, worship God, and uh, worship God with some carols as well. So yeah, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the birth of Jesus and just this time that we get to celebrate. We are excited to gather this morning, even if it's online, and just lift up your name because you are good and you are worthy of our praise. And so, God, would you just anoint the preacher this morning? Would you anoint the worship team? And Holy Spirit, would you just make your presence known uh, to each person who is just participating? And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning, I'm excited to introduce a friend of mine who has been involved in youth ministry longer than I have and is doing a great job, and he's going to bring the word for us this morning. Uh, so, yeah, Steve, come tell us about yourself. Sure. And tell us a little bit about what the word has for us this morning as yeah. well. Well, uh, first of all, I just want to say, uh, say thank you for, uh, for the invitation to come and, uh, and share a, a little bit from the Word of God this morning uh, with you at, uh, at, at this church. Um, uh, my name is Steve Swan. I'm the Executive Director of Youth for Christ, Prince George. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Youth for Christ, but uh, let me give you a really, 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 really quick overview of what, uh, of what we do uh, at YFC. So uh, we... We have a staff of uh, a team of, of seven, seven of us that work in Prince George and McKenzie, uh, bring, and our mission is to bring hope to youth. You know, I was at a uh, I was at a missions conference at a Bible school this this fall, and uh, you know, I was the local mission rep, and uh, there was a whole bunch of missionaries from all around the world, and I realized as I was chatting with these other missionaries doing fantastic work um, around the world, but I realized. You know, that if I think about the youth population of Prince George, um, the youth population of Prince George is less reached than most of the countries that these, that these missionaries were working in. Uh, by my estimation and my research of, of youth ministries in Prince George and, and just doing some, doing some number crunching, 95% of young people aren't being reached with the gospel, with the good news and the hope of Jesus. And... Uh, that's not okay to me. <laughs> I, uh, I, I want to see young people flourish. I want to see young people uh, find hope in Jesus. And so that's what we are working towards uh, with our team at, at YFC Prince George. And our, our programs uh, reach hundreds of youth in Prince George and McKenzie every week. Um, if that mission resonates with you. I'd love for you to visit our website at princegeorgeyfc.ca. You can find information about how to support uh, the work that we do uh, and how to get involved uh, there on the website. But I'm not really here to talk about, about YFC this morning. I'm here to, to dive into the Word of God with you. And before we do that, let's, let's, uh, let's open in a word of prayer, shall we? Uh, Lord God, as we open uh, your Word this morning, God, I pray 
Uh, God, that your spirit would illuminate this passage that we're going through this morning to your people. God, I pray that I'd get out of the way uh, and that you would speak to your people the word that you have for them this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Do you like Adele? You know, my wife loves Adele. She, uh, my wife likes to sing, and when, when, when Adele comes on the, the Spotify uh, uh, playlist, uh, she'll chase me and the kids around the house, screaming Adele, singing Adele at the top of her lungs, because that's the kind of music that Adele is. You know, Adele just released a new album, and when it came out, you know, I thought, you know what, man, this is good. But the thing about it was, it, it wasn't surprising. You know, there was... When I listened to it, it made sense. There was a lot of Adele-ish ballads. You know, songs that, you know, you couldn't tell what album it would have been from. It just sounded like Adele. And, and hear me, I'm not, this is not a negative thing. Because when I put on Adele, I want to hear her beautiful voice power through the pain and make me feel something deep in my soul. I don't need Adele experimenting with like, hip-hop or anything like that, I want Adele piercing the shell of my emotions. You know, some artists are like that, right? You know, maybe that's why country music is so popular. It all has sort of a similar, similar threads that pull it together, and it's music that ultimately is sort of comforting in its familiarity. There's a timelessness to it, and again, not a negative the same is true, I think, when we, when we put on a worship album, right? You know, if I'm listening to like a Bethel album, right? I, I want the familiar. I want the sort of the predictability. I want the passion, the soaring vocals, the, the, the electric guitars at just the right time, right? Because ultimately what I want from that art doesn't change. You know, I think, I think as human beings, most of us really like the familiarity of things. Because we like to be comfortable. We like knowing what's ahead. We don't want to be surprised. Like, like how many of us love breakfast? Waffles, eggs, pancakes, bacon. I'm getting hungry here. I love breakfast, but have you ever thought about why you like it so much? I mean, besides that, it's delicious and it's amazing. You know, when I was in college, I, I got a chance to go on a trip to China with my soccer team. And, you know, we spent, like, we spent a weekend at this, this very, very Chinese retreat center. And for most of the trip, you know, we'd stayed with, uh, you know, in the homes of Canadians and Americans. And so, you know, at least for breakfast in those homes, we, you know, we had the familiar, Right. But this retreat center was up in the hills. It was run by Chinese folks who didn't speak a lot of English. And so for breakfast, they served us soup one morning. It just felt wrong. You know, I think we love breakfast because we can count on breakfast to bring us that comfort. It's not surprising. It's, it's familiar. It's comfort as we start our day, isn't it? You know, I could be wrong about this, but I think that one of the reasons why, if we're honest, I think that most of us are struggling as we enter 
2022 and have now lived through nearly two years of pandemic, it's that some of those comforting things just haven't been the same. They've had to change. Restaurants, sure, you can go, but that's not the same, is it? You know, there, there are people who won't be able to go with you. You have to wear a mask. You can't get-togethers with friends. Sure, you can do that, but there's always, man, there's always some anxiety o- over who the other people have been in contact with, who you're going to see in the next little while. Oh, do I want to risk getting sick? Church? <laughs> this is a tough one. Nothing about church has been that normal, familiar, warm thing that we all love since, well, since, since March 2020, at least in our part of the world. And Christmas, well, when we come to Christmas, we want that familiar, don't we? We want that comfort, don't we? We want the comfort of our traditions. We want the soothing sounds of the carols that we know and love. And as our world has become colder, as distance has become normal, we long for the warmth of family, of ritual. And I understand, and I'm not against it by any means, but when we come to the birth narratives in Scripture, I think we have this this juxtaposition. We have this this comforting narrative, the familiar narrative of Jesus' birth, but but that's looking on it with 2,000 years of tradition. And it just struck me as as I was preparing for this message, as I was reading the Bible, as I was thinking about this, that, well, for me, I find this story really comforting I bet it was a completely different experience for those who were experiencing this story firsthand. I don't think that anyone in the story was comfortable because they were all in unfamiliar territory. And as a result of this story, we see that they were changed. And I think, I think there's a danger for us as Christians as we come to the Christmas story and this this Christmas season. Because I think at Christmas, we can experience what I'm going to call pancake spirituality. You know, it's the kind of spirituality that might fill us with warm feelings, it might be easily digestible, but ultimately is kind of empty calories. And if our faith is fed a steady diet of pancake spirituality, I think it can lead us to a pretty unhealthy place. And we can become so comfortable with the miracle, with the story of Christmas, of the incarnation of Jesus, that I think we can lose sight of the glory of God. And we can de-emphasize the absolutely world-changing event that was the Son of the Most High being born of a virgin. And here's the important thing. I think that it can keep us from the amazing redemption and transformation that was heralded by the angels to the shepherds. You know, the carol 
Hark the Herald Angels Sing is one of, my, one of my favorite Christmas carols. And I think it captures the wonder of Christmas pretty well. And this morning, I want to take a look at the passage that that, that carol is based on. So let's take a look uh, with, at Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. So if you've got a Bible, turn with me, if you would, um, to that passage. Luke chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 8. Here's what the word of the Lord says. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. So put yourself in the shoes of the shepherds for a minute. Probably a night like any other night. I mean, how many nights do you figure the shepherds had spent in that field watching their sheep? How many nights? And of those nights, how many exciting nights do you think they had? Maybe an odd wolf to fend off. Maybe, maybe a thief to deal with. Maybe it was a little dangerous sometimes. You know, these shepherds were not really part of polite society. Um, you know, these shepherds were, were probably poor, and shepherds in the first century had a reputation for dishonesty. You know, they probably had each other for friendship, companionship, but they were unlikely recipients of angelic visitors. And you know, we have this picture of how this scene plays out, don't we? You know, when we put together like a Christmas pageant at our church one year, we did a live nativity. When we put together the Christmas play, we, who did we get to play the angels? Kids, right? Kids, they'll look so good with those, those garland halos and those white outfits, those white robes. And we'll have them sing. It'll be great. It's not really... What, 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 what Scripture is telling us, is it? Because you know what we often miss in this passage? The angels aren't singing. <laughs> They're praising God, sure. 
But nowhere does it say that they're singing. (laughs) And look at how they're described. It says here the angel was joined by the armies of heaven. You know, some translations might use the word host there, but the word and its root are used to describe soldiers, armies, battles, etc. throughout the New Testament. And I think at the very least, we have a different sort of picture than how we usually think of this scene, don't we? Significantly more, oh no, than cute. I mean, you can see why the shepherds were terrified, right? The armies of heaven declaring God's glory. And far from being comfortable, these shepherds were absolutely terrified for good reason. That's usually what happens in Scripture when someone sees an angel, when they come face to face with the glory of God. They're terrified. So what's the danger for us in getting lost in the nostalgia and giving in to the, the, the cultural neutering, if I can use that word, of Christmas, we can miss the miracle, we can miss the glory, we can miss the gospel, and we can miss what Jesus actually came to do, what the angels declared that night. And what was unmistakable to a group of outcasts, to a group of shepherds who had never encountered anything like that in their lives before, and to my knowledge, never encountered anything like that again, in their lives, we can miss, and I don't want us to do that today. Because the good news that was proclaimed by those angels is still an absolute miracle today. The good news that the Son of the Most High, that Emmanuel, God with us, that Jesus would save us, that God and sinners would be reconciled in the person and work of Jesus Christ is a miracle today. And for us, it should be joyful, it should fill us with wonder, and it should bring us comfort. Absolutely. But the kind of comfort, the kind of comfortable that I worry about is the kind of comfort that leads to complacency. You ever notice how like Facebook, Instagram, Apple, Android, everyone does this. All these technology companies do this. But do you, know, you ever notice how they, how they change things up all the time? And, and we get annoyed with it, right? Like, we don't like it. But why do you think they do that? It's because they know that if they stay the same, if things stay the same, it's just human nature, we'll get complacent. And that's bad news for them because their whole business model is based on our attention. You know, there's a kind of comfortable that we all seek, and I'm not immune to this, but the kind, that, you know, the kind of comfort that we get when we sink into a comfortable couch at the end of the day, throw on a television show we've seen a million times, grab a snack we already know the taste of, we know what's going to be when we open the bag. That's one kind of comfortable. But there's, an, there's the kind of comfort that comes from knowing that the God of the universe has laid his glory to the side, been born in all the messiness of humanity, lived and served God without sin, and redeemed and reconciled us to God through his death and resurrection from the grave. It's the kind of comfort that knows that we were dead in our sin, but we are now alive in Christ. It's the kind of comfort that knows that we don't share the hopelessness of our world. But we have a Messiah, 
a Savior, God with us today and forever. The kind of comfort that knows no matter how far we fall, redemption, transformation, and grace are always near. Do you see the difference? And there's a kind of comfort which I think is our natural inclination to seek. You know, it's the, the well-worn path, the path of least resistance, the easy. That's what we want. But I worry that that keeps us complacent. And it won't transform us. And then there's the kind of comfort which we see in the words of the angel when he appeared to the shepherds. It says they were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. What a miracle. Paul writes about this really clearly in the book of Philippians chapter 2 where he says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that, Christ Je that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And friends, we must not be complacent about this miracle, this miracle of the incarnation, this miracle of the God who laid His glory by, this miracle of the God who became a slave, this miracle of the God who was born into all the messiness of humanity, this God who died a criminal's death on a cross, this God who was raised to life again, this God who rules in heaven and on earth and under the earth. We must not be complacent. There's a scene in the movie uh, Talladega Nights starring Will Ferrell where Will Ferrell's character Ricky Bobby and his family are sitting down to a dinner of sponsored takeout food and they're about to say grace. You know, and Ricky Bobby starts praying to Lord Baby Jesus. And everyone in the family gets into an argument because everyone thinks it's weird that he's praying to baby Jesus. But Ricky Bobby says he likes Christmas Jesus the best. He's cute. We might not put it like that in the church. But I do think that there's a reason that we might hear songs about Jesus out in the open more around the holidays. I think our world probably likes Christmas Jesus the best because, you know, we don't have to think then about the message of the angel, a message that proclaims a Savior, a Messiah, a Lord, and a King. You know, I think we all have this temptation at some level to make Jesus into our own image. Because at our core, we know that if we take Jesus at His word, that that means that we might have to change. We won't be the same. 
We like the same. We like the familiar. And the other thing is, is that I, I, we don't, at the core of, at the, I'll speak for myself here, at the core of who I am, maybe you can relate to this, at the core of who I am is pride. I don't like the idea that I need a savior. I don't like the idea that I can't save myself. I want to be the center of my own universe. C.S. Lewis has a funny quote uh, about hell from the screw tape letters where he describes hell as a state where everyone is perpetually concerned about his own dignity and advancement, where everyone has a grievance, and where everyone lives the deadly serious passions of envy, self-importance, and resentment. In Lewis's view, hell is a place where everyone is focused on themselves, everyone is concerned with being noticed and important. And think about it. What's the message of the angel? That Jesus came to save us, which means we need saving. That means that who I am is in need of redemption and transformation. You know, in, in the passage we read from Philippians this morning, we see the lengths that Jesus went to to purchase our redemption and provide a path for our transformation from death to life. And at our heart, there's, there's a part of us that I think wants to rebel against that because we don't like the idea that we aren't lords of our own lives. It's pride. It's sin. The birth of a Savior means that we need to wrestle with a perhaps uncomfortable idea that we can't save ourselves. And friends, if we're complacent about Christmas, if all we're seeking at Christmas is the comfort of tradition, maybe we're not wrestling with our own pride. And maybe we're missing out. Because I think when we wrestle with this, when we, when, when we look at this, when we, when we come to terms with our own complacency, we discover a God that loved us, that treasured us so deeply that He emptied Himself of glory, took all the glory of heaven, and was born in Bethlehem. Not a particularly important place. And He was born not to glory on earth, not to kings, but to peasants. His birth declared to outcasts and criminals. He took the worst our world had to offer and went to the cross and rose from the dead. And why? Love. Love. See, that's what I worry we miss when we get complacent about the incarnation, when we get complacent about, about this miracle. We miss how much God loved us, how much God loves us, how much we are valued by Him as His creation. And I don't want us to, in the church to get so caught up in nostalgia, in tradition, in comfort, that we miss the glory of a God who loves you and I, of a King who redeems you and I, of a Lord who reconciled you and I, to Him in our rebellion. 
And so as we wrap up this morning, I want to look at the end of this passage to see how the shepherds and how Mary responded. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying, praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. Now, we might not have been explicitly told in, in, in this passage uh, what the spiritual state of the shepherds was before this encounter. But I think that knowing how shepherds were thought of in those days is not really a stretch to think that who they were before encountering Jesus was not the same as who they were after encountering Jesus. They told everyone what had happened. They glorified and praised God for all they had heard and seen. You know, as you read the Christmas stories in Scripture, I don't know that there's a character in all those stories who comes away from these encounters unchanged. Mary? Nope. Joseph? Nope. The shepherds? Nope. When we come to Christmas, as we wrap up here, what kind of comfort are we seeking? Are we seeking the kind of comfort that doesn't challenge us, that leads us to complacency, but has no power to transform us? Or are we seeking Jesus? Because Jesus came to save. Jesus came to be God with us. And there is tremendous comfort in that, absolutely. But we, when we encounter Jesus, our lives cannot be the same. Are we seeking pancake spirituality? There's nothing wrong with pancakes. But a steady diet of them is unhealthy. And I think it's in the same way, especially at this time of year, I don't want us to miss the glory, to miss the gospel, to miss the transformation, and miss our King Jesus as we feast on Christmas tradition, family gatherings, more. Don't let the comfort with the traditions of Christmas turn into complacency. When we think about the king, don't let nostalgia snuff out passion for the God of the universe who loved us so much that he gave his son for us. And like the shepherds, like the angels, let's respond in worship. Glory to God in the highest. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for this incredible miracle, the incarnation, God with us. And God, I pray for my brothers and sisters as, as we come to the end of a year, which for most of us has been challenging. God, I pray that we would find comfort in you but I pray that we would not, that we would not be uh, comfortable to the point of complacency. 
with, with this miracle, with the gospel. And God, I pray that as we, as we look into ourselves and see where it is that, that you want to change us, God, I pray, God, I pray that you would. I pray that you would transform us. I pray that we wouldn't accept what our world offers, but that we would turn to you. Thank you for your love, Jesus. Amen. When we used to like gather, you know, you'd hear a lot of preachers say like, don't just leave without <laughs> uh, doing something about what you've heard. And even then it was challenging. We'd be so tempted to, you know, gather together and have lunch or have people over and fellowship. But I think that the risk of just hearing a great word from God and doing nothing with it has increased uh, because we shut our phones off. We <laughs> close our laptops. We, we're not engaged in fellowship. We don't have conversation about what we've just heard. And I, I got to tell you this week, I hope that you write it down. I hope you take the question of like, are you seeking comfort or are you seeking Jesus? Write it on a piece of paper, throw it in your Bible, put it on your phone. I don't know. Put it on your fridge if you have a magnet. <laughs> and just ask the Holy Spirit, like, where in my life am I more concerned about my own comfort versus <laughs> the Son of God? And then, yeah, talk to people. Tell them about the good news. Man, you know, there's that song, and, and I had heard it said this week, that like, uh, the thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. Yeah, we're all pretty weary. And so your neighbors and your coworkers and your friends are looking for hope you have. <laughs> Don't be complacent. Get uncomfortable. Share the news of the gospel. Because it's the thrill of the hope. We have, it doesn't matter if things are great. People don't understand quite as much. There's not as, as desperate. People are desperate. It's been a long couple of years. <laughs> Tell them. <laughs> oh, let's pray again, because we love talking to God. <laughs> it's such a privilege. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that uh, we're not just part of this local church, but God, that we are a part of your global church and that you have uh, a body that can just come and, and encourage and build one another up with your word. Oh God, we're so grateful for that. And so this week, Holy Spirit, would you just keep reminding us of the, the things that have been said today? Would we just evaluate in our lives in partnership with you whether we're seeking comfort <laughs> or whether we're seeking Jesus? And having to do that might actually be quite uncomfortable because we're going to be faced with the realities of our own shortcomings. But in that, God, just remind us of your graciousness and then prompt us to do something about it. Let's not just shut off our screens. But, Lord, mobilize us with your good news to this community. And as Steve mentioned today, 95% of the youth in our community aren't being reached. 
Help us to just partner with those people who are reaching them. Help us to give ourselves a passion to do something, to, to bring hope not only to our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers, but to young people in our own city. Lord, we need you, but they need you too. We're so grateful that you sent your son. And as we just celebrate this week, would it just birth a new and exciting passion and hope within each one of us. Thank you, Jesus. In your precious and mighty name we pray. Amen. Be blessed, church. Amen.